Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Good to have all the children in here tonight. This is one time a year where all the kids are here, and I, I have to say it really was cool to hear all the kids singing those songs. It was great to hear the adults, too, but it was really good to hear the children singing those songs. I just want to speak for a few moments tonight about Christmas from afar. When the angel came to Mary and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, sometimes maybe even we as Christians wonder, what's the big deal? What's the real good news of great joy all about? And why are we really celebrating Christmas other than Jesus came into the world? Well, I think all of us need to be reminded about the need for Christmas. Until we really understand the need for Christmas, what brought Christmas all about in the first place, then we really cannot truly appreciate and embrace Christmas and celebrate it and look at it as good news of great joy. So tonight, instead of looking at the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, where we find the very familiar story of Christmas, we're going to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, and talk about Christmas from afar. Because it's actually in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God himself promises us that a Savior is going to come into the world. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but before we get there, let's go back again to Genesis and let's just review a few things. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, we are reminded that our Creator, God, is a personal Creator. What He created, the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the uh, waters, and all of that, He didn't do it for Him. Remember, He's an eternal God. He's always been. And so He never needed any of that for Himself. He created it for us because He always wanted to have a personal connection and a personal relationship with His creation. <coughs> By the way, I might as well just go ahead and tell you, I'm sorry, I'm sick, and I'll probably cough. And I started to think, boy, you know, I'm really upset that I got sick at Christmas time. And then I remembered, and of course, Nicole's not feeling well either, <coughs> and I started remembering that you know, the first Christmas wasn't all everything just right either. <laughs> I mean, let's remember that young couple left their hometown and their family and friends, had to go a long way away. I know you mothers would especially appreciate this. Mary's giving birth in a cave. There are all these smelly animals around. <coughs> It wasn't necessarily the perfect circumstances, I guess you would say. And yet the most wonderful thing happened that night, and that was our Savior was born in the midst of all that. So it just reminds us, God works in less than perfect circumstances. Amen? 
And so we know God's going to work here tonight in less than perfect circumstances. But when you go back then to Genesis 2, you realize that God created man to have a special relationship and a special role in this creation. He set men and women above everything else in creation. But when you get to Genesis chapter 3, <coughs> excuse me, you come to a chapter where God had said to Adam and Eve, all that you will ever need to find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning in life can be found in me and in your relationship with me. But Satan came in the form of a serpent and tempted Eve <coughs> and basically convinced her that what God said was not true and that her and Adam could find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning apart from God or outside of God. And if you know the Bible, you know what happened. The world was plunged into sin at that point and devastation and pain and misery and loss. Because ever since then, man has been trying to get back to God or apart from God, trying to find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction and meaning in life. And even to this day, that's what you find with every human being. Either every human being finally finds that their ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning in life is found in their relationship with God and in fellowship with Him, or they keep seeking to find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning in life apart from God. But the search is there and continues. But it's in the midst of all that <clears throat> that God comes in, He pursues Adam and Eve, who are hiding from him now at this point, and he starts to question them. Not because he's looking for information, but he's trying to draw them back to him and trying to bring them to a place where they go, you know what, God, we blew it. <clears throat> In the midst of all that too, God curses the serpent and said, from this day forward, you will crawl on your belly. Something very interesting, God never curses Adam and Eve. God has never cursed a human being. God cursed the serpent and God cursed the ground, meaning that when Adam and Eve would work, the work was always going to be hard. It was going to be even more difficult to be productive after the fall. <coughs> but in the midst of all that, God also says this to the serpent. It's what in theology we use this big term called the proto-evangelium. Sounds really impressive. All it means is it's the first mention of the gospel or good news in the Bible. It's where God basically says, okay, man, you have made a mess of things in your life now. And Adam and Eve was going to start to feel the pain of that decision to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning outside of God. In fact, it wasn't going to be too many years later when their boys grow up that one of their own sons would murder their other son. And even before that, they started to feel the effects of sin very personally. 
But in the midst of all that, God says to the serpent, I am going to put hostility between you, serpent, and the one that represents you, Satan, <coughs> and this woman. And I'm going to put hostility between her offspring and your offspring. And your offspring will strike his heel, but her offspring will crush your head. Genesis 3.15. In that promise that God makes to Adam and Eve, we find why Christmas is needed, why Jesus had to come in the first place. And in that verse, we find four things, four truths that I think can encourage us and help us to understand more of what Christmas is really all about and why we celebrate Christmas. The first is this. With God, there are no hopeless situations. That situation that Adam and Eve found themselves in was pretty hopeless. It was a cursed situation. There was devastation everywhere. There was pain. There was misery. There was loss. <coughs> there was sin now. There was separation between men and women and God. They were trying to do it on their own. And in the midst of all that brokenness, God breaks in with this hope and this blessing and this promise and says, I am a God who can turn blessings from cursings. I am a God who can bring blessing out of cursing. I am a God who will step into this whole mess and this whole brokenness, and instead of leaving you in that situation for all of eternity and just saying, I wash my hands of you, I'm done with you, go on, die, that's it, you're done. I'm going to continue to be God. God says, no. I'm coming into the very midst of all of this, and I want to give you hope in the midst of this situation. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the coming of Christ reminds us that with God, there are no hopeless situations. With God, all things are possible. There is nothing too difficult for God. And if God broke in at the moment sin entered the world and, and man rebelled against him and said, I'm willing to fix this, I'm willing to do something about this, it should encourage all of us that every Christmas, we are reminded that God did not abandon us to our situation and to our sin. He stepped in and said, I'm willing to do something about it. We have someone coming forward already. <laughs> the second thing that we learn from this passage is that God fights for us. Remember what he said? I am going to put hostility between you, serpent, and this woman, between her offspring and your offspring. It's like God said, I'm declaring battle. I'm instituting warfare against you because you have sought to do harm. You have sought to abuse and misuse my creation, and I'm going to fight for you. God didn't turn to Adam and Eve and said, save yourselves. No, God says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to pursue you. 
And I'm going to make sure that forever there will be a wedge that is driven between Satan, you, and what you're going to try to do to my precious creation, to those human beings that I've created. Even down to your offspring and her offspring, I'm going to go to war and fight for you. See, when Christ came into this world, something it should remind us of is that it's also a reminder that God is fighting for us. He loves you that much that he wanted to come into this world and try to set things right between us and God and between us and one another. And the interesting thing, too, in Genesis 3.15 is that God basically gives his plan of attack to Satan. He says, Satan, this is what I'm going to do. It would be like a general in a war calling up the opposing general and say, here's my battle plan, but there's nothing you can do about it. Or it would be like a football coach phoning the opposing coach and saying, these are the plays I'm getting ready to run, but there's nothing you can do about it. See, God told Satan exactly what his plan was. Which leads me to truth number three. <coughs> God works in very unusual ways. Satan sought to use the woman as his tool, as his henchman to bring destruction into this world. Again, to misuse her and abuse her and harm her. God says to Satan, that's your plan, Satan? To use a woman? Well, guess what? I'm going to use her to bring the Savior into the world, and he's going to crush your head. He's going to destroy you. In fact, John tells us in 1 John that for the purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Now, that wasn't the only purpose, but that was certainly one of them. And that's exactly what we see happening here. God used the birth of a baby. God used a woman. And even going back to the Christmas story, God used this young couple, obscure, except for their very close family and friends. Nobody in the world knew who Joseph and Mary were. Nobody really even knew where Bethlehem of Ephrata was. It was a small little sleepy town outside of Jerusalem. And yet God says, that's where I want the Savior to be born. And I'm going to use this couple that nobody in the world pretty much knows, but they're going to be my instruments. That's the way God works. The Bible says God uses the weak things of this world to confound the strong. He uses the simple things to confound the wise. God works in very unusual ways. <coughs> I mean, when Jesus came into the world as God, he wasn't born in a palace. There wasn't all this fanfare and hoopla. God didn't say, now, you know who this is, right? So you better give him proper respect. No. God said, I'll announce he's coming. And I'll give you prophecy after prophecy to know that this is who's coming into the world. But 
If you don't want to pay attention, if you don't want to give any regard, that's up to you. But this is the way I'm going to work. I'm going to work through this very obscure couple, and I'm going to work through this little baby. That's why I love having children in here at Christmas Eve service, too, because it reminds us God uses children to accomplish much. I think that's why Jesus even turned to the children when he was talking to adults and said, unless you all become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because there's something very trusting and innocent. It's that childlike faith that just believes that God says all of us are required to have if we're to have a relationship and fellowship with him. God has always used and worked in unusual ways and used unusual things. And I hope that will encourage you because maybe you're here tonight and you don't think you're anything special. You don't know how God could ever use you or work through you or do anything great through you. You're just the person God wants to work through. There are no insignificant people with God. There's no small people or no small places. Every last one of you is significant and of great value and worth to God. And at Christmas time, all of us should be reminded of that. That Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven as the Son of God and came to this earth for you. Not just for all of us, but for you. And I believe that if you and I would have been the only human being on earth, Jesus would have done that just for us. He loves you that much. Which leads me to the final truth tonight. This Christmas from a far passage in Genesis chapter 3 also reminds us that God is willing to die so that you and I might live. God said, Satan, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. You see, Jesus Christ won a victory, but it was a costly victory. Because it required that the Son of God bear all the devastation and, in a sense, the curse that was brought about by Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in seeking to find fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning outside of God. And yet Jesus said, I am willing to die so that each of them who believes in me might live and have eternal life. Jesus said, there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And my friends, Jesus Christ laid down his life for you so that you might live. The Bible tells us that Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. The Word of God tells us that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Even though at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of our Savior, you cannot separate Christmas from the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Because as soon as he set foot on earth as that baby, that's what his life was pointing to. It wasn't just to come and be a good example, to be a wise teacher, to gather a following of a few hundred people. The purpose for Jesus' coming was to die on that cross. Again, to bear the devastation that was caused all the way back in the book of Genesis. That's why Jesus came. And even in Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of the Son of God, we are reminded that that baby came, that the Son of God came, so that he would die, so that we might live. So that's why, when the angel said to Mary, I bring you good tidings of great joy, it was because the promise that God made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3.15 was being fulfilled through the birth of Christ. And in his birth and in the passage of Genesis, we are reminded that with God, there are no hopeless situations. You may be here tonight and you may be finding yourself in a situation in life where you've given up all hope. <coughs> My encouragement to you tonight is this. As long as God is somehow in the equation, as long as God is looked to and consulted, as long as God is sought out and brought in, there's always hope. Don't give up hope. Second, God fights for us. And God is maybe fighting for you right now, trying to reach out to you and draw you to himself. God works in unusual ways. Babies, young, obscure couples, a town that nobody knew about. That's the way God brought the Son of God into the world. God may want to work in very unusual ways in your life. Because we all have our own plan. God, this is how I see my life going. And God says, that's fine, Jeff, but I see it going this way. And God always has the better plan. And finally, God is willing to die so that we might live. I hope tonight that we have been reminded just why we celebrate Christmas. And why when the angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, we go, yeah, I get it now. I know why Christmas should be a joyful time. Why it's good news. Because Jesus came into this world just for me. Just so I could have eternal life. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life.
I hope you have that life that Jesus came into the world to give you. He did it all. He doesn't look to you and say, again, save yourself. He says, here's what I've done. All you have to do is receive it. And I'm asking you, have you ever truly opened up the gift of Jesus in your life? Just like those gifts you will open up tomorrow, they will do any, none of us any good if it just sits there unwrapped. You and I literally have to go over and unwrap the gift in order to experience it. And some of you, there's Jesus. He's sitting there waiting for you to basically receive him and unwrap him and ask him to be your, your savior. But he won't force himself. You have to unwrap the gift of Jesus. Will you do that tonight? Let's pray. God, I just ask tonight that, God, we be reminded of just what a great gift we have in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. What his coming into this world meant for us after sin entered the world. Our lives can be so broken at times and so fractured. Our relationships with you and with others can be so broken and fractured. But God, you came in to restore and repair and mend and put things back together again. But that can only happen, God, when we align ourselves with you. Because, Lord, we cannot find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction, and meaning in life outside of you or apart from you any more than Adam and Eve could. So God, I pray tonight that we would line ourselves up with you tonight. And if there's someone here who's never unwrapped the gift of Jesus Christ, oh, what a, what a great time to do it. There is no greater gift. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the unspeakable gift. We can't even humanly articulate how great a gift Jesus is. And what, how awesome would it be that tomorrow we could celebrate Christmas for the very first time in our life knowing the Christ of Christmas in a personal way. That would make Christmas even more special. In fact, it would make it most special. God, help us to focus on these things. Not only tonight, but tomorrow as well as we unwrap our gifts, but realize that the greatest gift we could ever have is Jesus. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.